Psalm 23 speaks of the good shepherd, an ancient image that spoke of a great monarch, a great ruler. In our time, we probably use the word leader. In John's gospel, Jesus comes and says, I am the good shepherd, the good leader. Mark's gospel, which we're going to hear from in a moment, is not as overt But really, in our passage of today, that same assertion is being made. As you're going to hear in a moment in our reading from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44, Jesus does seek to restore the soul. He does make people lie down in green pastures. He does provide a meal, even in the presence of enemies, if you read some of the surrounding scriptures of this passage in Mark. And I think it's highly appropriate on this day where we ordain and install new class of officers, we've commissioned a trustee, that we see again what it means to be faithful and good shepherds, faithful and good leaders. First, let us go to our God in prayer. Living God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, feed our souls upon this, your living word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. He said to them, come away to a deserted place by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going and had no leisure to even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and the hour is very late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves have you? Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among all of them. And all ate and all were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. It's still early in their ministry. They still have their training wheels on, but, but Jesus has recently set his follow, sent his followers out two by two to do ministry, and they have that wonderful spark and energy that you get when you first start to see something come together. I took a step of faith. I began teaching Sunday school class, and... And I think the lessons are connecting. I jumped in on the homebound communion, and what a blessing to participate in that holy act. The Holy Spirit 
is working so powerfully through my Stephen's ministry relationship. Our mission work lives are truly being changed. Or as Luke records at this same moment when the disciples return to tell Jesus all that they had taught and uh, done, in your name, even the demons submit to us. How exciting when we dive into the Lord's work for the first time or for the 40th time. As elders, as deacons, as trustees, as followers of Jesus. How exciting when we dive in, people show up, things are starting to happen, happen and we're sharing, hey, we're doing ministry. And Jesus' response, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, we read, and they had no leisure even to eat. It's not clear if Jesus sees the disciples as part of the group described as so busy they have no time to eat. But it's clear the prevailing pace of the society is such that Jesus is concerned. Jesus knows that if you get to a place where you've got to eat on the run, where you're just squeezing in the essentials of life, you're probably going hungry in other areas of your life as well. Or you're about to be. And so right when the disciples assume it's time for celebration and kicking it into the next year with the thing that's really going great for them, come away. The 20th century Catholic priest and author Henry Nouwen, he wrote a very short book called In the Name of Jesus, Reflections on Christian Leadership. Written toward the end of the 20th century, it was his attempt to name the qualities that would be necessary for future Christian leaders given the times in which we live. It is not enough, he writes, for the leaders of the future to be moral people, well-trained, eager to help their fellow human, able to respond creatively to the burning issues of their time. All this is very valuable and important, but it is not the heart of Christian leadership. So then what is the heart as we lean in on the cusp of this new year and these new calls? The central thing is this, he writes, are the leaders of the future, truly men and women of God, people with an ardent desire to dwell in God's presence, to listen to God's voice, to look at God's beauty, to touch God's incarnate word and taste fully God's infinite goodness. Come away to a deserted place and rest. Jesus is preparing future leaders of the church. Each of you is a leader. Each of you is a person of influence in some capacity, somewhere. Many of you right here, even with committee and position descriptions in hand. And what if the only way to say yes to all that God has given you is to say no to it at first? What if the first thing is a no to all of it because you need to prioritize the yes to Jesus' invitation, a prioritization of the spaces in which the soul knows a renewal, a restoration? Can you name some of the spaces and places and people with whom you know a soul restoration, spaces in which you most clearly hear the voice of Jesus piercing through all of the competing voices? Come away. 
course, diligent as we try to be, it does seem. Verse 33 is often the case for us. Now many saw them, the disciples and Jesus, going, recognized them, and they hurried there on front foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. Jesus and his disciples have a plan, but the people and their needs are pressing upon them. And indeed, as we well know, crises arrive at all times of day and night, regardless of whatever plans we have laid out. Or people will just swing by or call or text, wanting to plan something or, or just complain or, or chat. And they arrive because you're an elder or you're a deacon, you're the parent. You're the boss, you're the leader, or you're just the person that's been around so long that you always know what's going on. And for many of us, we receive that unplanned visit or phone call or text or rally or issue as yet another interruption into the work I need to do. And amid the press of inevitable demands, Jesus again teaches on good shepherding, good leadership. If the first teaching on leadership was about the importance of attending to God, come away. The second is on the importance of attending to people in a certain way. Jesus sees this great interrupting crowd that has found him and his response. He had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion. Literally to suffer together, to have a feeling sense of what someone is going through, to have a warming of the soul which connects, relates, empathizes at some level. Compassion. I think it's important to note that compassion extends from Jesus upon this great crowd. And we're not told who all's there, but in all likelihood, given who has been following Jesus and where he has been going up to this point, in all likelihood, this crowd includes Pharisees, other religious folks, some who are just curious, some who just want a healing, and then a host of others who worship the gods of the empire. The point is, the word here is not congregation. It's crowd. And Jesus begins teaching all of them, nourishing all of them. Wait, Jesus, uh, shouldn't you maybe sift out the religious folks and teach them, focus your energy on them. They are the ones, after all, who are committed, who are going to come back. They're the ones who give. They're the members. They're... For God so loved the church. For God so loved the world. Jesus is teaching his followers, these future leaders, how they are to orient themselves unto the world. He had compassion for them, a warming of his soul unto the crowd. Our Presbyterian Book of Order actually picks up on this, for instance, when providing the definition of deacon. And I think it's worth us hearing that again as we ordain and install a new class of deacons today. The ministry of deacon, as set forth in Scripture, is one of compassion, witness and service, sharing in the redeeming love of Jesus Christ for the poor, the hungry, the sick, the lost, the friendless, the oppressed, those burdened by unjust policies or structures, or anyone in distress. A ministry of compassion unto the crowds, if ever there were a definition. 
Do our souls genuinely warm toward the diverse, unlikely crowds within and without the walls of the church that all might know the abundant nourishment of God's life? This assumes, of course, that when we look out at the horizon of our relationship, not everyone looks and thinks and acts and believes in the same way as us. I think we can have some kind of sentimental feelings towards people we don't know. But honestly, it's profoundly difficult to have a genuine abiding compassion for crowds we rarely encounter and do not really know. Likewise, it's, it's near impossible to have compassion for others unless we've known compassion unto ourselves. I wonder if sometimes when we scan the crowds at which Jesus looks at with compassion, the very hardest person for us to really believe is there in the midst is us. Do you know that Jesus looks at you with all of your wanderings and your thoughts, your hurts and your hopes and your contradictions? And he looks with compassion, a warming of the soul unto you. The good shepherd looks upon the mixed crowd with compassion and so gives expression to the heart of the gospel, which is for the world. Now, as the day draws near, dinner time's arriving. The disciples tell Jesus that the crowds really need to head out so they can go find something to eat. And Jesus responds, you give them something to eat. Uh, are we supposed to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread, just an insane amount of money and bread, and, and, and give that to them? What would the disciples assume in their response is this is a crazy command, and if it's even remotely feasible, uh, they really do need to go somewhere else and get a whole lot more. Uh, maybe we can heed your call, Jesus, but we're going to need a whole lot more money and food. Maybe we can heed your call, Jesus, as Georgetown is changing and, and growing rapidly, but first we're going to need more members and more space and more money. Maybe we can heed your call, Jesus, to attend with love to the elderly and to the children in foster care and to the refugees, but first we're going to need to go and procure more resources. The basic running assumption the disciples have is that in light of the enormous situation that is before them and who they are and what they have right now, not enough. But the good shepherd's question is not what do you lack? Tell me all the reasons this will fail and fall apart. Tell me of the limits of compassion. How many loaves have you? He says, go and see. Like seriously, take an inventory. What do we name when we slow this morning and we take an inventory, not of what we wish we had or are sure that we need, but, but of what we have been given? What are your spiritual gifts? Scripture assures us every one of us is given those. What resources do we note? Time, money, a building, energy, connections. And perhaps we list what may very well seem paltry in light of the enormous need to which we are called. Here's five and here's two and, and really that's everything. But have you ever risked this gesture fully and forthrightly before the living God? Jesus takes the loaves 
blesses them and breaks them. Likewise, the fish are divided and broken, and somehow in their breaking they are multiplied, and the crowd is fed. Jesus foreshadows his own body broken upon the cross here, that time not just for the 5,000, but for all of humanity. And in his body broken, sin is broken, death is broken, and he rises three days later whole, living bread for the world. When we place our two and our five in the hands of Jesus, we know not his timing for what will happen next. Nor do we know the degree to which the very thing we have handed over must first be broken in order to be multiplied. What we are assured of is that his faithfulness is unceasing and what is given shall be multiplied such that what we were sure was a scarcity story, there's just not enough, will ultimately be an abundance story of deep and far-reaching nourishment. If the first leadership lesson was on attending to God, come away. And the second was on how we attend to the crowds with that warmth of a both-and compassion. The third is on how we attend to ourselves. How many loaves do you have? And will we risk offering it fully and forthright into the hands of the living God? Will we trust God's abundance more than our perceived scarcity? Speaking of loaves, you all noticed the smell of bread when you came into this space this morning. There is an unmistakable aroma of life when the people of God offer themselves fully, and Jesus takes that and feeds in a manner far greater than any of us could have imagined. And at the end of this service of worship, each of you will receive a fresh slice of bread that Mona Anderson so generously baked yesterday and this morning. A reminder to all of us that when a people offer themselves fully unto the living God, the congregation, the crowds, everybody can taste and see that the Lord is good and the banquet of life is at hand. Let us pray. Most gracious God, living bread of the world, we give you thanks for your faithful nourishment in our lives. We give you thanks that you promise to make a space for us to lie down in green pastures of your rest. That you make a banquet for us of your grace, your provision, your compassion, even in the midst of our enemies. We pray that the goodness of your faithful shepherding, your faithful leadership will be made known afresh in our world today. We pray for those whose thirst runs deep this day those for whom water shortage is significant and dire, those for whom the wellspring of their soul is shot through with doubt or drugs or self-condemnation. May they know you leading them beside still and abundant waters, showing yourself faithful in life-giving provision. We pray for those for whom home is a deeply ambiguous and uncertain reality. Those in Australia surrounded by ravaging fires. Those in states facing flood waters. The refugees in our land seeking a new definition of home. 
The deploying soldiers seeking to make a semblance of home quite far away, even as home changes significantly among family. For the many who face difficult challenges related to finding a home, may they each know your compassion falling upon them. May you lead each of them unto a fresh green pasture of abundance and rest, even in the midst of great turmoil. We pray for all those who are hungry this day, those whose bellies ache with the threat of starvation, those who hunger and thirst for your righteousness and justice to be made known in this world, those who hunger for your peace amid growing fear and strife. May each know the provision of your gracious banquet. May you take the seemingly meager offerings of our lives and multiply in far greater measure than we could ever have imagined such that truly the crowds might be fed. And then, Lord, for us, your church this day, help us hear your spirit calling us. Help us consider what it means for us as leaders to come away, to be filled with your compassion, and what it means to hold all that we have and all that we are fully and forthrightly before you. And together we unfold our every prayer into the one you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.